You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Oh, man, you guys are amazing. Well, camp was amazing, but again, I'm ready to look forward to the future. So I have a question for you, New Song Students. Who's ready for the Word of God tonight? Okay, good. Well, I am, and I want you to do whatever you need to do tonight to prepare your heart for this message because here's the reality. What we're about to step into is a holy moment. Like, what we're about to step into is not just about me talking and you looking at me and listening and then, you know, possibly checking out in 15 minutes and thinking about, like, what snack am I going to eat before I go to bed tonight? Like, that's not what this is about because this is a holy moment. And sometimes... We don't think of this moment as a holy moment as much as like worship because, you know, when, when you got worship, you got Maddie singing and Haley and all these beautiful voices. You've got the lights, you've got the vibes, you know, the energy is just right. But I want you to know that every single time that you and I crack open the word of God to consider it and to think about it is a holy moment. That's a holy moment. So let's treat this moment like a holy moment. All right. So let's prepare our hearts, whatever you got to do. If you need to take notes, take notes. If it's going to distract you to take notes, don't take notes. Just listen. Whatever you got to do, posture your heart for this holy moment because we're going to be kicking off tonight in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we've read it recently in our BT journal. And uh, I want to read just one verse to you. It's a short verse, simple verse but it's a powerful verse. And it's gonna be the foundation for this entire series that we're about to step into, which by the way, we are kicking off a brand new series. Who loves a new series? Y'all know I love a new series. And we're we're kicking off a four part series on prayer. Somebody say prayer. Prayer. Say it, but really like emphasize the P, prayer. There you go. Maybe spit in your neighbor a little bit, prayer. I'm just kidding. We're kicking off a new series on prayer, and it is called Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. But before we go into this message, I think we should do what this series is all about, and we should pray. You cool with that? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for my New Song students' family. And Lord, I thank you that I love your word because it says where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. Your presence shows up when people gather in your name. And I know we just sang a song that said, give me Jesus. So I know there's a lot of hearts in this room who are focused solely on you, Jesus. We are lifting your name up tonight because you're what really matters. And so as we lift you up tonight, I thank you that your presence is in this room, that Holy Spirit, you're here. And so as we open your word, which is perfect and true and good, and builds us up. I pray that you would teach us. Teach us how to pray like Jesus tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay. Look to your neighbor. Say, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Okay. Now, I need to give a little bit of context for the title of this series. Because this phrase, mind the gap, it's not really like something that we, it's not a phrase that we use very much in America. Uh, But it comes from something. So I've got a little story time for y'all. Is it cool if we do a little story time? I I haven't shared a story in a while, so I decided, you know what, tonight's a good night to share a little story. So 
about three and a half years ago, uh, my wife Haley and I, we had just been married for about a year at this point. And we're in town. We're visiting some of our family. We're from Dallas, Texas. We're from a suburb in Dallas called Frisco. Anybody ever been to Frisco before? Frisco? I don't miss it. I love Oklahoma City way more. Way more. But we were in town visiting some family, and we were running around making sure we're seeing everybody like an even amount of time, which, by the way, just a heads up for those of you who want to be married one day, okay? Just a little life tip for you. If you want to be married one day, and you're going to get married one day, I want you to know marriage is awesome. It's the best. But when you get married, something happens. Your family gets bigger, right? You get a bigger family. So what does this mean? This means that you have to start making time to see people that you've never had to make time for. When you get married, your family grows. So you actually have to start thinking about spending time with people that used to not be called your family. Does this make sense? So for instance, if you marry somebody, and let's pretend that your future spouse lives or is from another state. So you guys get married. Well, guess what? Now for holidays, you guys have to determine which families we're gonna see. That's not an easy conversation. So you have to think about these things. So if you, if you do end up getting married to somebody who, you know, their family's in a different state, it might look like this. It might look like, okay, for Christmas, we're going to see my family. And then next year, we're going to see your family for Christmas. Yeah. Or it might look like this. It might look like we're only going to see my family for Christmas because it's really important to them. But your family, Thanksgiving is more important. So we're, gonna, we're just going to give you guys Thanksgiving. Does that make sense? Yeah. You have to think about these things because people want to see the married couple. And you got to spread that time out evenly. So for Haley and I, it's a little bit different though. It's a little bit different for us because pretty much our entire family lives in Frisco. So when we go in town to see family, it's not like, oh, we're just going in town to see my family or we're just going in town to see Haley's family. No, it's more like we're going to see everybody for two hours each. And you just kind of got to divvy up everything. So like, when we're driving in to that, I always do that, get choked up, you know what I'm saying? Whenever we're driving into Dallas, we're always thinking of our game plan, how we're going to strategize seeing everybody evenly. So it kind of looks like this. Okay, we're driving in. We're going to see your mom first, Haley. We're going to spend two hours with her. Then after that, we're going to pack up the car. We're going to drive over to my parents for dinner. We're going to spend time with them, maybe play some games. Then we're going to pack up the car, go back to your mom's house, spend the night. But then we're going to wake up first thing in the morning, and we're going to go see your dad, okay? We're going to have breakfast with your dad. And then after that, we're going to go have lunch with Aunt Doreen and the cousins. Like This is kind of what a, a trip to Frisco looks like. It's crazy. It's not restful at all. Because we go home, and we're just driving to a thousand different houses to make sure everybody sees us. So it's crazy. And three and a half years ago, we're, we're newly married, and we're in town to go see the family. And it looks like this. We're running around to every house. We're seeing all the family members. And at one point, we were spending time with Haley's dad. And he invites all of us into the living room. And it was kind of like we're hanging out, but then it all of a sudden got kind of serious. Have you ever had that moment with your family? Where, like, everything's chill, and then it's like, oh, just got serious. And you're like, what, what bomb is about to drop? So he calls all of us into the living room, and it's myself, my wife Haley is there, her older sister Taylor is there, and then it's her dad. 
And so he calls us all into the living room, and we're all thinking, okay, what is he going to tell us? Because the reality was, up until this point in our life, there was a lot of things happening, a lot of new shifts and transitions happening. For one, Haley and I had just gotten married, and we were the first set of kids on both sides of the family to get married, which is a big deal when the first set of kids get married. That's a big shift for your family. But not only that, when, when we were engaged, the year before we got engaged, Haley's parents, they decided to split and they got a divorce. So that's a big adjustment, as you can imagine, right? So we just got married and Haley's family just experienced this big shift. And then not only that, on top of all of that change going on in our life, my grandparents are declining in health. Haley's grandparents are declining in health. It's just kind of a heavy season for our family. Like there's a lot of good happening but there's also a lot of bad and heavy that we're walking through. So we're at Haley's dad's house and he calls us all into the living room. And you can imagine, we're like, okay, what bomb is about to drop now? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, what is about to happen? And Haley's dad proceeds to tell us, hey guys, a lot has happened this year. And we're like, yeah, you're right. A lot has happened. He's like, life is too short and I don't think we're ever gonna get this chance again. So I want all of us to get our calendars out because in three months I'm taking you all of us to London and I'm paying for everything, flights, Airbnb, food, I'm paying for everything, but I'm taking us to London because life is short and I just don't know when we're gonna get this opportunity ever again. And so as you can imagine, we thought this bomb was gonna drop and we just got like a massive Christmas gift because we just got invited to go to London for free. How many of you would go to London for free? Hex, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to London for free. So we all get our calendars out. Long story short, we plan this trip, and we go to London for 14 days, y'all. It was amazing. Who's ever been to Europe before? I'm just curious. Anybody been to London? No? Nice. London's really cool. Okay, 10 out of 10. Highly recommend. Go to London if you can. But, oh, and you know what's crazy, too? It really was. It was totally the Lord, I think, because the very next year was covid and also Haley got pregnant. So like that was literally the only chance that trip could have happened. How cool is that? So we go to London and we spend 14 days there and it was amazing. It was so cool. It's weird because London is a lot like America in the sense that it's a first world country. It's fully developed like we are. They've got buildings and skyscrapers and cars and technology. So it's not like you're going on a mission trip. But the weird thing about London is everybody sounds like they're in a movie because they all have these really proper British accents and they sound way cooler than us. Like every time, every time I went to get like a coffee, I felt cool because nobody knew I was American. They just think like, oh, you're just British. But then the second you open your mouth, everybody looks at you because you sound so American. Like I remember they'd be like, you know, I'm not even gonna try and say it because I don't want to embarrass myself. But... <laughs> But they would say, no, no, no. They would say, I'm not even going to try. They would say, what do you want? What kind of coffee do you want? What kind of coffee do you want? And sometimes I thought about faking a British accent. But I was like, no, they'll know. They'll know. So I'm telling you, it felt so awkward to just be like, yeah, I'll take a black coffee. <laughs> and everybody in the room is like, oh, this dude's American. Because it's so obvious. Because they just talk way cooler than us. So I actually brought a couple photos from our trip, and I, <laughs> I don't feel weird about showing these now, but if like I had just gone on this trip and I was like, look at how awesome my summer was compared to your lame summer. 
That would be mean. But it's been, it's been three years now, so I don't feel bad about sharing these photos. So these are some photos from our trip. This is the London Bridge. I actually don't know if it's called the London Bridge, but it's in London and it's a bridge. So that's a, a ferry ride we took. This is the castle. Again, I don't know the name of the castle, but it's where the queen stays. Does anybody know where that is? No, it's not Buckingham. It's a different one. But it's a castle. It's a castle. Windsor. Yes, that's right. So we, got, we saw Windsor. This is Abbey Road, uh, where the Beatles recorded their album. It's pretty crazy. I took all these photos, by the way. So these aren't just like off Wikipedia. This is your boy's iPhone 13, okay? Well, it's probably 11 at the time. This is us at, at Stonehenge, which Stonehenge is crazy, y'all. How did they do that? Like aliens? I don't know. Nephilim, maybe? Giants? I don't know. I don't know. But Stonehenge was really cool. Uh, what's the next photo we got? Okay, this is Haley, my wife Haley. This is her dad. His name's Kelly. Say, what up, Kelly? Hopefully he's listening to this podcast. But this is them on the tube. Somebody say the tube. The tube. Okay, don't go to the next photo yet, Caleb. But the tube, if you ever go to London, the tube is the subway system in the city. So if you ever go to London, this is probably how you're going to get around the city. It's called the London Underground, and the slang version is called the tube. Now, when you ride the tube, there's going to be something that you hear about five million times when you're riding on the tube, and it's this phrase right here, mind the gap. You're going to be walking into the tube, and in the intercom, there's going to be this sweet British voice that comes over, and it says, mind the gap. Look to your neighbor, say it in a British accent, say, mind the gap. Mind the gap. In fact, I think I got a photo of the, yeah, it says mind the gap everywhere. And the reason why is because at the tube, there is a platform that you're standing on, and there's a train that you're wanting to get on. There's a train that you're wanting to get on that's going to take you to the destination that you want to go to, but in between you, the platform, and the train that you're wanting to get on is a what? There's a gap. There's a gap between where you are and where you're trying to go. Now, the reason why the intercom system is coming on 5,000 times per minute and telling you to mind the gap is because if you don't mind the gap, which means think about it or look at it or consider the gap, what's going to happen? You're going to fall in the gap. Now, some, some gaps, like at some stations, the gap isn't that big. It's just kind of tiny. So you could probably walk over it without even thinking. But at other stations, the gap is bigger. And if you aren't minding the gap, if you aren't considering the, the situation that you're in, there's a very good chance that as you're walking onto the train, you could trip, you could break an elbow or a nose, or even worse, you could put your foot right in that gap and fall right down the middle in between the platform and the train. Somebody say, that's a bad day. That's a bad day. So because they don't want people getting hurt constantly, this intercom is telling you to what? Mind the gap. Consider, listen to me, consider the situation you're in, pay attention, observe what's around you, and respond accordingly. Because there's a place you're trying to go, there's a platform you're standing on, there's a thing that, you, that can take you to where you want to go, but in between that place where you are and where you want to go is a gap, and if you don't consider that gap, there's a chance you could trip up and fall. 
Now listen to me, in the same way, with that same vein, the reason why the London Underground is pleading with people to pay attention, consider the outcome, and respond accordingly, in that same vein of thought, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, is doing the very same thing for believers about prayer. He's telling believers to pay attention, to consider what is happening, and then to respond accordingly. Why? Because if we don't respond accordingly, what can happen? We can trip up, we can fall, we can miss our destination. Are you following me? Yeah. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Simple passage, but this is the foundation for our entire series. It says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert, pay attention, look, have a sober mind so that you can what? So that you can what? Pray. Okay, what is God telling us here? He's telling us that through the power of the Holy Spirit riding through Peter, we as believers need to consider what's happening in our world. We need to be aware, alert, looking at what's happening and responding accordingly. And according to this passage, the way to respond is not to step into religion and just you know focusing on yourself and doing the right thing. The, the way to respond is not about uh, just reading your Bible as much as possible and getting knowledge. The, the way that we are called to respond is to what? Pray. To pray, to pray. And we can get caught in this gap, this gap of culture, this gap of religion, this gap that is keeping us from the destination God has called us to. We can fall into that gap if we don't pay attention to it and respond accordingly. So tonight we're talking about this. It's simple. We're talking about a call to prayer. This is what Peter is doing. He is calling believers to pray. It's really simple. Calling believers to pray. And this message that I'm about to share with you, you've probably heard it from me before. You've probably heard it from our pastors before. And I was thinking about it and I was like, man, a lot of this stuff I already know, God. A lot of this stuff I know my, my students know. But I felt the Lord say, that's okay. Because we're trying to build a house of prayer here at New Song. We're trying to build a student ministry that's not built on hype and not built on uh, just having the next big thing, but we're building a student ministry on what? Prayer. And so we need to re be reminded of the power of prayer. Amen? And so we, I say all this to say this. If you're writing notes, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Prayer is the first and most important thing we can do as believers, yet it tends to be the very first thing we neglect to do. Prayer should be the first thing we jump into doing. But many times in our, in our walk with Jesus, this tends to be the very first thing that we just kind of leave. We leave at the corner. We don't do. I've heard a pastor say it like this. I actually think it was Joe at one of our breakout sessions with the guys but I can't remember for sure, but I've heard a pastor say this, we'd rather do things for God than spend time with God. We'd rather do things for God than spend time with him. And I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of this. Why? Because it's a lot easier to do things for God and you get that quick dopamine hit. You know what I mean? You get that quick instant satisfaction of I did this and I saw the fruit. I served this person and they smiled at me. I prayed for this person and they cried. I did this thing and somebody thanked me for doing it. Are you following me? It's easy to do things for God and it's a lot harder 
to just sit and wait on God. It's a lot harder to do that, but here's what I want you to know. You can do all of the things. You can serve at church. You can be planted in church. You can be in community. You can even read your Bible and tithe on every single thing that comes into your life and never pray. You hearing me? You can do all of that stuff and never actually talk to God. And so we need to be a people of prayer. Even though we would rather, and I'm talking about we as in the big C church, we'd rather do things for God than be with God. We need to learn how to be people of prayer. Now, the reality is, even if we look at this from like a numbers perspective, even this shows us where our priorities are when it comes to prayer. Like if you look at a church, let's say we've got a church of like a couple thousand people, so a little bit bigger than New Song, and you've got all these people and they're tithing, they're planted, they're serving on a team, they're connected in a small group, but then you invite them to a prayer meeting, you'd be lucky to get 10% of your congregation at that prayer meeting. Like that'd be on a good day if you got 10%. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that if you don't go to a church prayer meeting that you suck. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you don't come to midweek prayer at New Song that you're failing as a Christian. Please hear me. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is when you look at it from a numbers perspective, we can see where the priority is at church. And many times, it's not in prayer. It's not in prayer. But this isn't a new problem. I want you to know this. This isn't a new problem. You know, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, did you know that he didn't just get resurrected from the dead and just go straight into heaven? But the Bible actually tells us that Jesus spent 40 days on earth. Did you know that? Jesus comes back from the dead, and he doesn't just like say what up to Mary and then peace out like deuces. I said I would leave. No, he stays for 40 days, and the Bible tells us that he proclaims and talks about the kingdom of God and preaches. And scripture tells us that over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. It'd be pretty dope to be one of those 500 people, right? But yeah, I saw him. He autographed my, my pants, you know. It's a weird thing to autograph, but he did. 500 plus people saw the resurrected Jesus before he ascended into heaven. And then Jesus, so that means there's a good chance that they heard Jesus tell them what? Go and wait for what? The Holy Spirit, the promise. But fast forward, Jesus ascends into heaven. And then there's people in the upper room praying. Guess how many people were in the upper room? 120. So think about this with me. This makes me feel really good as a pastor. Even the son of God was only able to get a third of his congregation to a prayer meeting. <laughs> that makes me feel good as a pastor. But I say all that to say this. This kind of shows us where our, reality, where our priority is when it comes to prayer. Even when Jesus tells people, go and wait, only 120 of them were willing to go and wait. And what were they doing in the upper room? They weren't just waiting, like twiddling their thumbs. What were they doing? They were praying. And so we have to have a bigger picture, picture of prayer in order for us to engage in prayer the way God has called us to. Are you following me, New Song students? So write this down if you're taking notes. Most Christians, we view prayer as something I should do. You ever been there before? I've been there before. Yeah, I should pray more. 
I should pray more. I know, I don't pray enough. I should pray more. Most Christians view prayer, prayer that way rather than what it actually is. It's actually something you and I get to do. Dallas Willard says this. I love this, this uh, quote from Dallas Willard. He says, it would, of course, be a rather low-voltage spiritual life in which prayer was chiefly undertaken as a discipline. Pause. Some of you are all like, what in the world did Jackson just read? <laughs> He's saying, your prayer life is going to be really weak and boring and lame if you think it's just a chore. You following me? You're going to think prayer is really lame if you treat it like doing the dishes. But look, he says, rather than what it actually is, which is co-laboring with God to accomplish good things and advance his kingdom purposes. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We miss out on prayer, the power of it, when we see it as a chore. When you and I view prayer as doing the dishes for for Jesus, as checking off a to-do list so I can be a good Christian, man, we are missing out on the power of prayer. We need a bigger view. And you know what? We aren't the only ones in modern times struggling with our view of prayer. Jesus was constantly trying to remind people, hey, your view of prayer is too small. Hey, your view of prayer, it needs to be bigger. Because look, in Matthew chapter 6, I know you've heard this passage before, but it's so good. Jesus says, and when you pray, somebody say, when you pray. When you pray, you must be, not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, they got their answered prayer, and it was people just looking at them. But when you pray, somebody say, when I pray. When I pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is Jesus trying to get us to see here about prayer? He's trying to get our view of prayer to go from something I feel like I should do to something I get to do. But he says, if you think you should do it, you're going to do it for the wrong reasons. We see this in the Pharisees. Why, why were they praying? Was it to connect to the Father? No, I wish it was, but they weren't praying to connect to God. They were praying so they could look and feel a certain way. They, they were praying so they could be seen by other people. And Jesus lets us know that's all you get from prayer. If you pray that way, people see you. Congratulations. Your prayer was answered. Yikes. But check this out. Not all, sometimes I think the Pharisees get a bad rap and we're like, dude, I would never pray in front of people. So I'm not a Pharisee. But on the flip side, say you're somebody who never prays in front of somebody because you're like, ah, I just don't do that. I don't like praying in front of people. I don't want people to hear me pray. Can I tell you as a pastor, and if that's you, I'm not dogging on you. I'm just being honest. When I hear people say that, it breaks my heart because the reality is that's the very same thing as the Pharisees on the other end of the spectrum because the Pharisees prayed so they could be heard by people. And when I say I'm not going to pray because I don't want people to hear me because they pray better than me, guess what? Jesus is telling us that view of prayer is too small. Because what is prayer? Prayer is just talking to God, and God wants your heart. He doesn't just want your words. He wants your heart. And so both ends of the spectrum, if you are praying to be seen by people, God says that's a small view of prayer. If you're not praying in order to not be seen by people, God says that's a small view of prayer. I've got a bigger view of prayer for you. Are you following me? Somebody say, I need a better view. view. 
So I think, obviously, the best person we can look to is who? Jesus. You know, because Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. So he submitted himself to being like a man, you know, and a person and a human. So he prayed. Jesus prayed just like you and me, and he modeled a prayer for us perfectly. Look at this. In Matthew 6, verse 1, it says this. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, you've heard this said before at New Song. We say this a lot, and I love it because it's so true. At this point in the biblical story, the disciples have already seen Jesus do a lot of things. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him multiply bread. They've seen him do like Jedi mind tricks on people and read people's mail. Like Jesus has done some really cool stuff. But what's crazy is the, the disciples, they don't ask Jesus how to cast out demons. They don't ask Jesus how to multiply fish or to control people's minds like Jedi mind tricks. No, the one thing the disciples want to know how Jesus did was pray. Because when Jesus prayed, it was so different than the way they experienced prayer. Because you see, the disciples, they struggled with prayer just like you and me. They had a small view of prayer sometimes like just you and me have. And so when they saw the way Jesus was connecting to the Father, they were like, whoa, I don't pray like that. That looks way different than the way I pray. Jesus, can you teach me how you pray? You see, when Jesus prayed. And when we look at the life of Jesus in scripture, we see three things, three characteristics about Jesus's prayer life. Jesus modeled consistent, meaning he did it every day, persistent, meaning he didn't stop praying, and intimate prayers, meaning he wasn't just doing it religiously. He wanted to. Jesus modeled consistent, persistent, and intimate prayers. I got a couple scriptures where we find Jesus modeling this type of prayer. Look at this, Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up onto the mountain to pray by himself. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Luke 6, 12 says, it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to what? Pray. Come on, some of y'all are asleep. To what? Pray. There we go. And he spent the whole night in prayer. How many of y'all have done that before? Dang, yeah, I haven't either. Spent the whole night in prayer. Mark 1, 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went into a secluded place and was praying there. You guys see in this picture of consistent, persistent, and intimate prayers? You see, Jesus had such a big view of prayer that he was willing to lose sleep in order to pray. You know, some of us, we've got a really big view of things that we would lose sleep over, like Fortnite or TV or spending time with our friends. And guess what? I'm not dogging on all, any of y'all on like liking to do stuff. I like to do stuff too. <laughs> but what I'm just saying is we make time for a lot of other things. But a lot of us, we struggle to make time with prayer why did Jesus not struggle to make time with prayer? Because he viewed prayer as something as important. Jesus knew prayer is so much bigger than me just saying words to myself 
It's so much bigger than just giving God a Christmas list that I want him to fulfill in my life. Jesus viewed prayer as something so important that he would stay up all night to pray and that he would wake up early before anybody else woke up in order to pray. Come on, who wants to pray like that? I'm not saying you need to pray all night long, but who wants to have a view of prayer like that? Yes, I know I do. Here's the good news. We've talked about this before. Jesus has called us to live life like him. So anything Jesus did, we have the ability to learn how to do and step into. So if Jesus had an intimate prayer life, can you have an intimate prayer life? If Jesus had a big view of prayer, can you have a big view of prayer? 1,000% yes. But in order to do that, we need to have a bigger picture of what it is. So I've got three points for us tonight on prayer. Very simple points, very foundational points that you've probably heard before from this pulpit, but I don't care because this is how important prayer is. We need to be reminded of it. Amen? So the first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is relational. Prayer is relational. At least it should be relational. Dallas Willard says this. Prayer is conversing, communicating with God. That's all it is. Like, you know that, right? If we are going to strip down prayer to like its very bare bones, all it is is you talking to God and God talking to you. Now, I've got a quote for, from a pastor that I heard a week ago, and it's spicy, y'all. I don't know if y'all are ready for this quote. I read it, and every time I read it, I'm kind of like, ooh, that hurts. That really hurts. But I want to share it to you because this is how important this is. It's from a guy named Dr. Matthew Stevenson, and he says this, it is criminal for people to gather together in the name of a God they don't talk to. I'm not even joking. I just got like chills reading that. I want to read it one more time because, wow. It is criminal for people to gather in the name of a God they don't talk to. Man, all I got to say is let that not be us, New Song students. Let that not be us. Let us not be a people who gather in the name of Jesus and never talk to him. Are you getting like the urgency in this? Man, let that not be us. Look at this. John Tyson says this about prayer. Prayer is not the thing. God is the thing, and you get to him through prayer. We're talking about prayer for this next month, but prayer is not, it's not about prayer. It's about God. We're not praying so that we pray more. We're praying so we connect to God more. Are you following me? Prayer is talking to God. It's relationship. It's all about connecting with God. And we see this when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he gives them the template. Remember Tondra, I talked about this? The template. It's like your resume, and what do you do? You fill in the gaps with your story. So Jesus gives us this template, and the very first point in this entire template is relational. Look at this, Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, our Father in heaven. Now, we know this, Father, that word Father is actually Abba, which means what? Y'all are super smart. I know you know what this means. What does it mean? Yeah, don't be scared. Say it. Daddy. 
I just like making you say daddy. That's really funny. Okay. Look at what David Guzik says about this. David Guzik says, it was very unusual for the Jews of that day to call God father because it, can, it was considered too intimate. It's true that God is the mighty sovereign God of the universe who created all things and judges and governs all things, but he is also to us a father. So Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you call God your father, which actually means daddy. Now, I know if I came up here every week and started every prayer off with, Daddy God, I just thank you for my new song students, family, and Daddy God, just bless them, and Daddy God, I just, fire of God, Daddy God, Daddy God. Like, y'all would be like, I'm out of here. This is weird. Because that's kind of intimate, right? Like, that's really intimate. And I'm not saying that you need to start saying Daddy God in your prayers. If you want to, you do you, okay? I'm not going to judge you. Some people might think you're way more spiritual than them. I'm not saying you need to say Daddy God in your prayers. But what is Jesus getting at? He's getting at the intimacy. He's getting at the relationship. He's saying, hey, every time you pray, it needs to be from this place of you are God's kid, and he is your father, and he wants to take care of you. Now, here's the reality. I understand that a lot of us have fathers. Some of us might not have fathers in the room. But just because you have a father or didn't have a father, maybe you have a father figure in your life, y'all know that you can have a relationship with somebody like on paper, like they're your father, but never actually give them your heart, right? Like how many of you, you're friends with somebody, but you could be friends with them for years and you communicate to one another, but then one day they like get real with you and they like share something with you that's really deep and transparent. What are they doing in that moment? In that moment, they are giving you their heart. They're giving you what's actually going on. What I'm trying to get at is this. Sometimes we, we hear this and we say, okay, God's my father. So I get to talk to him like he's my father. And we communicate. How many of you guys communicate with your parents all of the time, right? We communicate with our parents and our family members and our friends all the time, but are we always giving them our heart? Not always. You can talk to people and communicate. There are people who could be married for years and talk all day long, but never actually get to the root of what's happening in their heart. And guess what? They're, they're in a relationship on paper, but they're not actually walking in relationship. Are you following me? So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, God, yes, he wants to see you as father. He wants you to see him as father. Yes, God wants to take care of you like you are his child. Yes, you can communicate to God and talk to God. But he doesn't just want you to talk to him. What does he want? He wants your heart. So prayer is not just communicating with God. Prayer is about giving God what's actually going on in your heart. New Song students, do you do that? Do you give God your heart in prayer? Or do you just pray like this? God, I'm, I'm going through this, and I just pray that you would come through for me. But you don't tell him how you're feeling about it, the fears that you're actually carrying. Like you're not actually giving him your heart. Can I tell you, God wants your heart. New Song students, God wants your heart. God cares about the way you feel. Do you know that? 
God wants you to tell him how you feel because God wants you to communicate with him because prayer is what? What is it? It starts with an R. It's relational. And relationship is not just about communicating. It is about communicating, but it's about communicating your heart. Are you giving God your heart? The second thing we got to understand about prayer is this. Prayer is spiritual warfare. Prayer is spiritual warfare. Now, we don't always talk about this, but it's a really important aspect of prayer that we've got to understand. And if we don't, there's a really good chance that we're not fighting the battle. Look at this. Write this down. You are in a spiritual battle. If you're ignorant or ignore the fact that you're in a battle, you probably aren't winning the battle. (laughs) We're in a spiritual fight. There's an enemy that hates you. He does not want you to get to the destination God has for you. And so there's a very real enemy that is trying to stop you from stepping into all that God has for you. Look, Ephesians 6, 12 lets us know right here. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So right there, it's pretty obvious. Scripture says, hey, there's a spiritual realm that is fighting against you. And there's a book, I've shared this quote before. I love this quote. It's from a book called Screwtape Letters from C.S. Lewis. Has anybody read Screwtape Letters? It's a crazy book, y'all. This book is wild. C.S. Lewis is writing this book from the perspective of a demon. Whoa. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us to understand the reality of demons and a spiritual war that we're in. And so it's not like the book isn't like truth absolute like the Bible, but it's trying to get us to open our eyes to the reality that there is a fight that we're in. And so C.S. Lewis writes as this uh, demon named Screwtape, and he's writing to a lower-ranked demon named Wormwood. And here's what he says in one of the chapters. He says, "This is remember, this is a demon talking, all right? He says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. You ever thought about that? Like the enemy is just like, he's throwing lies at you. He says, it's funny how we think that we're putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. So what is he saying? Now, again, this isn't like absolute truth. This is just to get us to think, right? What is he saying? He's saying the enemy, sometimes instead of making you sin, he'd rather you just be so busy that you forget that there's a battle that you're actually in. If he can get you too busy to pray, man, if he can't get you to sin, what will he do? He'll get you too busy to pray. Because when you pray, you are partaking in this thing called spiritual warfare. There's this crazy uh, passage in the book of Daniel where Daniel is praying for the children of God. He's interceding. He's minding the gap. And in this passage, it gives us a kind of a glimpse into this spiritual warfare that we partake in when we pray. Look at this. It says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. This is an angel talking to Daniel. He says, since the first day you began to pray. Somebody say first day. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. So this angel tells Daniel, the second you started praying, we started moving. But look at this. 
I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince, this is not a real prince, this is like a demon prince. The spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince king of Persia. Now I am here to explain what happened to your people in the future and for the vision that concerns a time yet to come. How crazy is this, y'all? This is God's word. What is cool about this story? What I love about this story is the angel says, Daniel, the very second you started praying, God started moving. But what does he also say? He says, but there was, a, there was an enemy fighting against us that was keeping us from getting that prayer to you. Man, I wonder how many times when we're waiting on prayer and we think, man, God's not doing anything. Or man, something's wrong with me. What does this passage show us? Nothing's wrong with you and nothing's wrong with God. There's a spiritual war that's happening. And the second God heard your prayer, he started moving. But when we pray, what are we doing? We are engaging in spiritual warfare. Now, what I love about this is I don't think Daniel knew he was fighting the enemy when he prayed. And sometimes I think when we hear spiritual warfare, we think we need to put more emphasis on the enemy than we do on God. That's not the point. No, I think Daniel just kept praying. And Daniel just kept trusting in God. And Daniel was just persistent. And he just kept getting down on his knees and saying, God, I still trust you. God, I still trust you. And little did he know, every time he did that, he was fighting a spiritual battle that he didn't even see. How cool is that? Prayer is spiritual warfare. And when you keep praying... God keeps fighting. When you keep praying, God keeps fighting. And the last thing is this. I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. Prayer is what keeps us going. Prayer, write that down, is what keeps us going. I'm telling y'all, you can walk with the Lord and try to get to the destination he has for you in works And by striving, you can try real hard to do that. But at the end of the day, the only thing getting you where God wants you to go is prayer. The only thing that's going to sustain you for that trip is you leaning on God in prayer. And you know what? We see this in Jesus. Because the thing that carried Jesus all the way to the cross was the fact that he never stopped connecting to his father. There's a passage that I love. It's where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You all familiar with that story? Remember, Jesus is wrestling. He is anxious about the cross, and he's worried, and he's giving God everything, his heart, his anxieties. And what does he tell the disciples to do? He says, hey, come with me. Would you pray? I need your help. I need to be sustained through this trial. Would you pray with me? Now, do you remember what happened with the disciples? What did they do? They fell asleep. They fell asleep, asleep, but Jesus kept praying. Jesus kept laying down his burdens. He kept praying and trusting God. And I find it interesting. I find it interesting that all of those people left the garden, but the only one who actually walked fully into their destiny was Jesus. And which one of those people was the only one who prayed in that equation? It was Jesus. 
those same disciples who fell asleep and couldn't pray, they weren't sustained. They didn't, obviously God, there's grace for them and they eventually step into their calling, but they leave that same garden and they end up denying Jesus, running away from Jesus, walking away from their calling and Jesus sustained through prayer, takes on the cross, dies for our sins, models for us that prayer is the only thing that's gonna sustain you. And I love this passage. I wanna end with this. Psalm 55, verse 22, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Not cast your care on him and he might come through for you. If you keep casting a lot, then maybe he'll come through for you. No, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he, somebody say, will. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. New Song students, we are called to prayer. This is a call to prayer. I'm calling you to prayer because I know that there is a destiny that God has, not just for you individually, but for us collectively as New Song students. I don't know about you, but I don't just wanna be a youth ministry that just meets on Wednesdays for 10 years and just sees like average fruit. I wanna see like revival fruit here. Like I wanna see our student ministry shake our community. I wanna have a student ministry that if we closed our doors, people would notice that we were gone. But I'm telling you, it's not gonna happen unless we pray. It's not gonna happen unless we become a student ministry of prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight as we get ready to close?